What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Comrades Classroom Podcast. On it, we sit down with members of the Orange County Rapid Response Network. OCRRN is an interconnected system of nonprofit and grassroots organizations, civil rights attorneys, law school clinics, and individuals working together to respond to dehumanizing immigration enforcement activities and policies in Orange County. Throughout the discussion, we talk about the purpose of their organization, and we also talk about why it's necessary to connect immigration issues to the larger systems of violence like carcerality, criminalization, and the broader U.S. prison regime that's rooted in racial capitalism. If you would like to support the OC Rapid Response Network as a volunteer or donor, please visit their website at ocrapidresponse.org. If you are looking for support in a legal case or you need to report ICE or police activity in your neighborhood, please call their hotline at 714-881-1558. Again, that's 714-881-1558. Enjoy the episode. and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night. having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folk the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother's son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'm going to remain a soldier till the war is won. 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 All right, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're here with some folks from the OC Rapid Response Network, uh, and we're we're really excited for this conversation. We're excited to learn more about the organization. Um, we've kind of supported each other, uh, that being the People's Coalition and OC Rapid Response Network, um, both online and in the field, but we haven't really been able to uh, completely tap in with each other, so we're really excited for this conversation. Um, so one thing we always start off with is um, just learning about our guests' different journeys towards uh, political clarity and their ongoing learning process. Um, and so if you can, uh, just start off by introducing yourselves, um, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing about yourself, uh, whatever name you're comfortable sharing, um, and telling us a little bit about the journey that led you to getting involved with a political community organization like OC Rapper Response Network. And I'll, I'll push that to either of y'all to take it first. Thank you for that opportunity. I'll go ahead and get the ball rolling. Um, my name is Laura Hernandez, and I am currently the program coordinator for the OC Rapid Response Network. Um, man, tell you a little bit about my journey. 
let's see. Well, my journey begins in Santana, in Orange County. I grew up there. That is my hometown. Love that city with all my heart. And um, well, I grew up kind of, you know, in a rough neighborhood and didn't end up on the right path, made some really bad choices and ended up at the age of 21 with a 27 to life sentence. So I was on a bus by the age of 24. Yeah, by the age of 24, I was on a bus um, on my way to begin my life sentence. And um, that was a really big eye opener for me. Um, I got off that bus and, you know, I was really angry with the world, but um, I told myself I didn't want to stay there. I didn't want to die in prison. So um, after our first rough year, I started doing a lot of rehabilitation and, you know, taking self-help groups and doing the most as far as it came to like, you know, healing myself and, and building myself back up. Right. So in the, I I was doing that for myself because I, I just, I guess you could say I was disappointed in myself. I was disappointed in the fact that um, I was so young and here I was catching a life sentence and um, didn't really understand all the factors that played into that decision-making that I was, you know, that I had done. So um, in the course of all of that, um, a new law came out, um, 1170D1, which made me eligible for early parole. Um, I had at that point started organizations. I had created programming. I had facilitated. I had um, mentored and trained everything you can name from facilitator to mentor to trainers. And um, I found my niche. I found my place uh, where I fit and where all my experiences meant something to me besides just pain, you know. So with that, I ended up going out to court, uh, back to the Orange County Jail, and waiting for um, a judge to make a decision based on my C-file and all the good things that I had done. And sure enough, I was there for about 10 months. And that's when the pandemic hit. Uh, so it kind of prolonged my stay, unfortunately. But at the end, um, I did end up getting found, um, given credit time served after 15 years. And I was supposed to be an immediate release, but I wasn't. I spent another 10 days um, after the judge had granted me parole in the Orange County Jail uh, waiting for immigration uh, immigration had sent me a paper asking if I wanted to be interviewed and whatnot. And um, I didn't know my rights at the time. So long story short, uh, I had an attorney uh, who connected me with the Orange County Rapid Response Network. And as soon as I called them, man, these people mobilized. Um, they wasted no time. They didn't hesitate to show up in support. Um, I remember talking to some of them over the phone and just feeling the overwhelming sense of community and knowing that these people never once asked me what my charges were. Why was I, you know, a lifer? There was no questions about my moral character or my integrity at that point. They were just mobilized about me as a community member. And that was something that I'll never forget that feeling. I still get emotional about it. Um, when I talk about it, but, uh, and when I say they mobilized, I mean, they mobilized, they were outside the orange County jail picketing, uh, with signs. And, uh, it wasn't long after that, a couple of days later on Monday, actually that following Monday morning, um, I was finally set free. So, um, that's my journey of how I got into this space. I mean, 
after that, being part of the participatory defense meetings and just talking to um, all the people there and connecting and getting resources and getting help for like basic needs and just everything that I needed at the time, you know, they were there to provide and what they couldn't provide, they made up for in um, enthusiastic support and um, just encouraging me to not give up, to just keep going. And I knew every week was a new challenge when I got out Um, because of my immigration status. I was a legal permanent resident. I am a legal permanent resident, but um, there was a lot of like little ins and outs, right, that um, come with that. And so um, I needed medical insurance that I couldn't get because I had to see an oncologist. And there's just a lot going on for me. And and this network just never gave up on me. And um, it was because of them that I just kept kept fighting, you know, kept fighting because I knew every week, no matter what I went through, I knew I could show up at that meeting and let out my frustrations, let the let the crew know like what was going on. And they were going to rally around me and lift me up and um, help guide me, you know, and um, so how could I not, right? How could I not give back and 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 be part of it? I mean, it's a super honor to be part of um, of that group of people, man. If if we were all in the same room, you would understand what I'm talking about. Um, it wasn't about a year, I think, later uh, that I was let know that um, there was a position potentially opening within the network. I applied, and um, Gratefully and and with a lot of honor, you know, I, I took that seat and and um, man, I learned so much every day from these folks that I want to also specify this organization is strictly um, volunteer led. Like I said, I'm I'm now the only paid person part of the network, and that just happened about thirty days ago. So this is absolutely volunteer led. All these people give of their free time, their hours away from family and friends and their own needs of rest and all of that just to give back to their community. And it is super um, admirable, right? And um, being part of them is is such an honor. And I, I'm so grateful to be in their space. And uh, that that's my journey. Thank you. I'm going to hand it over to Mal. Appreciate you, Laura. Uh, really, really excited to be here with you. Uh, my name is Mal. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a, a community organizer uh, with the Orange County Rapper Response Network. And yeah, super excited to share, I'll share about my journey. Um, I, uh, my family uh, migrated here to, to the United States, uh, to Santana, well, Garden Grove specifically, but we lived out throughout Orange County. Uh, my family comes from uh, Cuernavaca, Morelos. And so at the, uh, at the age of eight years old, uh, my, my mom and my sister, we decided to make the, you know, the journey um, to come to California uh, was a very traumatic journey uh, across the border, but um, a lot of like my experiences now as an organizer and, a, uh, and as somebody who identifies as an abolitionist have been kind of rooted in my lived experiences um, that were really shaped by that journey of migrating here. Uh, we were detained twice at the border and, and spent time in the uh, San Isidro facility. Um, and, and that itself, you know, kind of shaped my experience uh, at a very young age to be like, damn, like my experience is really different. Um, and so just coming into the United States, right, this was like in 2005, 2006. So like four years after uh, um, the ICE was created, right, like right after like 9-11. Um, and so a lot of the uh, kind of my experiences here um, were really traumatic, right, also as a racialized person here in this country, um, my family was very poor when we first moved out here and we're living in Garden Grove. 
um, we were in a, a two bedroom apartment with almost like 15 people. And so uh, from a very young age, you know, we understood that like our conditions were shaped, you know, by something bigger than us and, and you know, not having access to even like uh, food and water sometimes and even housing. Um, I think just kind of shaped, you know, how I understood myself. And so um, very, very at a very young age, you know, in high school, I, be, I began to get like active. Um, and, and around that time was where a lot of these narratives around, you know, the the the, the dreamer movement, you know, the immigrant rights movement were, were very uh, popular. Um, and kind of how we also saw the creation of the, the good and bad immigrant narratives, right? That yeah, those that were allowed to be here or given, you know, access to resources must either uh, graduate high school, go to college or have some sort of like contribution, right, to, 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 to this country. And so uh, at a very young age, I think I always challenged those notions because um, I saw, you know, even people in my family who were impacted by like the, um, by the criminal system, right? I had, I had uncles that spent time in the uh, Theo Lacey facility and were almost deported, you know, because of DUIs or other convictions. I also saw my, you know, my brother was deported in 2008 under the Obama administration, which is fuck Obama <laughs> for deporting my brother. But um, a lot of it for me was kind of, you know, a lot, of, a lot of those lived experiences really shaped. Um, also, how I became to, to, to get involved and um, it was also like in college when, um, so I, I studied at UC Merced. Um, I was very involved with like the campus and, and some of the organizing that we were, we're doing there. And I think always in solidarity with black folks. Um, and so Burley at, at, a, at a young age in, in, in college, I think I quickly realized like the importance of adopting pro-black frameworks and also what that looked like in praxis and building intentional relationships with black people. And so uh, for me, um, when I, you know, first kind of became into that notion was when folks were also organizing uh, SB 54 statewide uh, to try and, 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 you know, pass this legislature um, that would support, right, um, collaborations between local police uh, agencies and, and ICE. And, you know, we saw that that, that itself was not enough. And so, um, because we still see those collaborations. And so when I first moved back to Orange County, I attended a rally um, in Santana. And so from then on, I, I just kind of started connecting with more people on the ground and was like, no, nah, like, I think the way that people were doing deportation defense um, or just supporting undocumented folks. And even in general, with my experiences, I feel like as an undocumented person, it was always other people carrying those narratives for us. And so I think uh, I felt like on a, on a daily basis, the, the state um, and just like institutions always took away agency from me. And so for me, it was important to reclaim that narrative. And that's why I started to become more active and politically, I think, just engaged. And so when I came across the Orange County Rapper Response Network was um, uh, through some, I think I had gone through a program with the nonprofit and quickly got connected with the Orange County Rapper Response Network. I kind of really connected with the with the issues that they were fighting for and, and you know, really supporting um, system impacted folks, um, currently incarcerated leaders and formerly incarcerated leaders. And so I think quickly I was like, yeah, like that's where I need to be. And so um, in 2018, I was invited to to do a, to go to San Jose to get trained by the San, uh, the, uh, San Fernando or no, uh, SVD Bug, which is an organization that works with um, uh, currently and formerly incarcerated leaders. And that's where we develop and learn about participatory defense, which we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about and how that's like a value now that we that we guide. But when we came back from that training, we quickly um, just reshaped the way that we were doing deportation defense um, and, and really power, empowering uh, 
you know, uh, system impacted folks and their loved ones to, to regain that agency, right. And also change the outcomes of their cases. Um, and to just really build up their power as a, as an organizing model and really center them, um, in the organizing that we were doing. And so when we, you know, came back from that training, we, we quickly also just reshaped the work that we were doing, uh, to be more intentional, those values. That's so beautiful. Um, both of y'all, thank you so much, Laura and Mal. Um, personally, I just want to say I'm honored to be sharing space with y'all um, and to um, just that y'all took the time to be here. Um, and if it hasn't been said to y'all before and your organization and you as individuals, like you deserve your flowers, like y'all fit right within um, a history of resistance, right? Against a prison regime, right? That's rooted in so many things, settler colonialism, slavery, all these different things, um, and have impacted so many of our people. Um, and it's, again, like there's a lot of people in offices and academia, and there's a lot of people getting book deals and a lot of people showing their faces around with a bunch of followers. But it's, I, I want to say it's like, it's the work that y'all are doing that matters, right? The people who are both on the inside and the outside struggling, um, to get people free um, and get people free within our communities and folks who are on the inside. Um, so I just want to say that because y'all deserve your flowers for real. Um, so on to the next question. Um, if you can tell us a little bit more about the OC Rapid Response Network um, and the work you do as an organization. Um, what's the history of the organization, its goals in the community, um, and some of your founding principles? Appreciate that question. And so, as I was mentioning, I, I only got involved around uh, 2018, but the Orange County Rapper Response Network um, pretty much came out of a, a movement, right? Uh, and specifically a youth-led movement, a trans uh, and queer uh, movement here in Orange County, right? That um, was very rooted in, in, in um, uh, pushing back against uh, narratives where folks were being criminalized in our community and like massively, you know, folks here locally were massively deported. And so, you know, um, in 2004 was when, you know, we saw the Dreamer movement and folks uh, advocating for, uh, uh, you know, a pathway to citizenship or at least a pathway, you know, to, to, to have access to education. And so a lot of the work that happened here was also to fight back against, like I said, like the, the local uh, jail contracts that ICE uh, had with a lot of our local prisons, you know, with the Santana jail, with the Theo, Theo Lacey facility, with the James Music facility, which, you know, it was, you know, queer and trans folks and uh, undocumented youth that, that fought, you know, uh, to, to, clo to close those contracts. And so also I think I, think I also want to talk about the history, right? I think oftentimes we forget uh, that it was under uh, Barack Obama that, uh, this heavy, heavy funded deportation machine and, and heavily funded police departments, um, you know, started to be enabled to, to, to incarcerate and criminalize people and, and, you know, build this, this huge deportation machine. And so Orange County was literally, um, at the forefront of that, right? Uh, where, you know, we saw the sheriff's department to, to the furthest extent of the law, as, as he likes to call it, fucked on Barnes, uh, really working to, with ICE, right? To, to, uh, to incarcerate people and to also deport them. And so um, it was through a lot of those campaigns, right, that, you know, uh, queer and trans folks and 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 undocumented youth that, that kind of this creation of, like, how do we respond, right, to, to a lot of the ICE raids that were happening in our community? Um, how do we respond to these contracts that that the jails were, you know, are, are 
our, our county was spending so much goddamn money and, and incarcerating people that it, it literally became like a, its own economy, right? I think at some point folks were, were, were scared of, of closing these jails uh, because of how much money it was bringing into the city. And so, um, and at the same time, right, once we saw the Trump administration come in, um, there was like the heavy uh, rise of, of, of white supremacy, you know, well, not the heavy rise of white supremacy, but we saw it a little bit more uh, prominent in Orange County. And I think Orange County went back to, to its historical roots of anti-blackness and white supremacy. And, and it became very clear where priorities were at, right, in terms of where money was going. And, and you know, essentially, like they wanted to, to, to deport and mass uh, uh, incarcerate a lot of folks in our community, whether it's through criminal you know, quote unquote, criminal convictions, like you being poor or you being houseless and, uh, you know, not having access to, to, to food and water and being criminalized for just existing, right? For getting, you know, food at a local store or, um, you know, trying to take a shower at local parks. Like we saw that, that, that quickly began to happen. And so even, you know, trans folks, trans women were being put in, uh, in the men's uh, central jail in Santana, right? And so a lot of the, uh, of our, of our, the history of our network comes around uh, really leading deportation defense campaigns uh, in Orange County. Um, and right also came like the new generation of participatory defense organizers uh, um, that came about in 2018 when uh, we took this training with uh, the uh, uh, SVD bug based out of San Jose, which adopted their model of participatory defense from uh, Mothers in Charge in Philadelphia, which is a group of Black women, Black mothers, uh, who actively became um, uh, politicized, right, to, to support uh, Black men, um, Black youth, right, bl uh, Black boys, and, 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 and coming out of jail, right, and, and being able to be supported in navigating the uh, criminal and immigration justice systems. And so we adopted that model because we, we saw that the alternatives um, were there. Um, and the, 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 you know, that, that, the, that we could envision a different world where we actually were giving resources to support um, loved ones of system impacted people, but also support folks on the inside, um, you know, to, to, to create and to have their agency um, um, to, to, yeah, to, to see a, a difference in their case after um, so much time spent in, in jails. And so some of the values, right, that, that really ground our work as uh, the Orange County Rapper Response Network um, are really rooted, right, in, in mutual aid. And I want to be want to be very specific as to what that means uh, for us. Um, not only at the start of the pandemic, we've seen you know the, the need uh, for folks' basic needs to to be met, you know, but we've also seen a, a institutional and systemic uh, lack of care for for Black and Brown people, for um, Indigenous folks, for uh, houseless folks and, you know, for folks of all, you know, of all walks of life, but, you know, for just for poor people, period, not only here locally, but at the global level. And so uh, one of our, our, our most guided principles has been um, what does it look like for us to build collective power as our core organizing principle? And for us, right, like how do we use this organization as a vehicle to, to organize with people and not for people? Uh, and that's something that really roots our organizing as something I've seen it within our space. Like we're not here to to speak on behalf of people, but we're here to to remind people, hey, you actually have the agency and the power to 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 advocate for your own self because you are closest to the issue and because you have experienced these things. And so you have the solutions to what we can we can see in our community. And so we organize people who live uh, in communities 
we don't organize the community, right? We organize people who, who live and have been um, impacted by, by both the incarceration system in, in Orange County, the deportation machine in Orange County, and like literally white supremacy that is heavily rooted in anti-blackness that it's rooted in, in the history, right, of, of Orange County. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we were able to also recognize that um, we need to connect the struggles, right, um, not only with, between the immigration system, but also with uh, how we've seen historically, right? Uh, we, we, we've learned so much from the civil rights movement, from the Black Power movements, from labor movements, you know, uh, uh, queer and trans movements, uh, movements for reproductive justice as, as kind of have to inform our work. And so one of our, our guiding principles um, for our organization is to be really rooted in, in, in those histories, um, to be really rooted in adopting pro-Black frameworks um, and anti-racist pedagogies, right? And, and not only pedagogies, but also like, what does that look like in practice? Um, you know, we recognize that, that Black people live and exist in, in Orange County, and many of them have been directly impacted uh, and targeted by these anti-Black policies, whether it's through housing, transportation, food, access to mental health, immigration. And so we reject a lot of uh, policies that intentionally target Black folks. And so at our core system, right, um, it's, it's recognizing that um, because, you know, when you look at the populations uh, of, of folks in, in our local jails, it's, it's, it's Black folks that are being targeted the most. And it's also Latinx folks and Vietnamese folks. And so for us, it was really uh, intentional to adopt those frameworks, but not only adopt them, but also put them into practice. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those, those are a few of our values that guide us. And I think um, we know that, you know, imperfect people doing imperfect work, like I think, at our core, uh, mutual aid is working outside of the state and nonprofit industrial complex. And so, yeah, that's one of our also basic principles. We challenge the nonprofit industrial complex, right? We recognize that even us as a, as a grassroots collective of system impacted leaders and volunteers, um, that there's not, there, foundations are not going to fund our work. Foundations are, are not going to fund um, the, the advocacy and organizing that we're doing with uh, folks in the inside uh, and, you know, system impacted people because these foundations, uh, you know, want to fund what's fancy. They want to fund what, you know, is getting likes, what's getting retweets, what's, what looks good. And for us, it's always making sure that, you know, at the core, um, we support, uh, you know, folks who are navigating cases, right. Such as domestic violence, DUIs. And, and I think also, you know, um, through, through that point of, of being abolitionist, um, we center those that have been casted away by, by these systems, right? Even by these nonprofits who have been historically criminalized, impacted by the carceral system. And so, you know, we support and uplift those folks who, who you know, lawyers won't take their cases or nonprofits won't take their cases because, um, you know, either there was something dealing, that they were dealing with their mental health or, you know, their current living uh, conditions, right, that the state has placed on them. And we were like, nah, like, it's actually, like, it's those folks who we'd be centering in the work that we're doing also create these alternatives and so for us um even with the pandemic was i think also adopting that model of of we became the and essentially the alternative to to how we think about um even like safety right like we keep us safe like we recognize you know oftentimes uh, uh and it's within our name as a rapid response network we'll have folks call us right whenever there's a a domestic violence uh um, situation in their neighborhood or whenever they're seeing, you know, ice show up in their neighborhood. Um, we know that people already have these uh, ways of keeping each other safe. And so we, in a way, have also utilized that as a way of uh, not only informing the work on, on the real time, but I think also creating these alternatives that, um, like I said, nonprofits won't fund. 
uh, these institutions won't fund, right? And I think that us is an ongoing reminder that um, a lot of this work has been done, not just by us, but we can see it, right, in, in the Black Panther Party um, through through their different people's programs, right? We can see it actively, right, uh, through different movements, um, that, you know, nowadays we'll have a lot of people theorize about this shit, but, like, the work has been done and the work has been said. You could look at folks like Franz Fanon, Fannie Lou Hamer, Fred Hampton, as really, uh, and, and so many other, you know, uh, uh, Black leaders um, that have really shaped um, how we understand not only the conditions that folks are experiencing here um, in the in the United States of America, uh, fucking this imperialist state, but also at a global level. Um, and so, yeah, so for us, those are, those are some of our core values that guide us, and I think ever-changing. Um, I think, you know, as an organization, we're in a constant state of, of adopting new values, uh, having to study more about like, what is it that, that, we, that we mean when we say uh, pro-Black frameworks? What is it that we mean when we say uh, transformative justice? What is it that we mean when we say mutual aid? And I think always being committed to unlearning and learning um, and also decolonizing a lot of the, of the shit that, that, that is exposed to us and so um, those have been some of the, the guiding principles that really root us um, in our network. And, and I think also, you know, just being able to build community, right? Like you can't uh, move or organize somebody if you don't build those relationships with them. You can't, you know, get somebody. And and, it, and it's beyond, right? Like beyond just turning people out for an action or protest. It's like, how do you give people to accept the responsibility that that they can do the work with us? And be engaged and be involved as a as a uh, as a value of like collective liberation, right? Um, not only just here, but also like uh, at the national liberation forefront, right? That Franz Fanon talks a lot about. Um, and so, so yeah, those are some of the values that guide us um, in this work. And um, I think for a really long time, I think has also been of of. Um, I think in terms of our goals, right? It's like how do we um, empower folks here in Orange County to fight. Uh, fight back against and also, you know, create these alternatives for um, for not only safety, but for housing, for uh, for access to, to, to just the basic resources. Right. And so um, I think our goals ultimately in, in, in Orange County are to continue to to push um, uh, for more resources to be funneled back into our communities. Right. But for us to have control of those resources um and to you know know where the money is going like our county spends so much fucking money on policing and criminalizing people uh but we really don't see a lot of investments in our education systems and um you know also thinking about um how we also help people represented and and what access people have to and to what exactly what resources do people need and so for us it's kind of really understanding um what are what is what are the needs of our community and and how can we empower them to to advocate for those needs and to create those alternatives, right, um, for themselves. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think you covered uh, such amazing stuff that y'all are doing. Um, Laura, is there anything else that you want to add to that, to that question? Man, that was a mic drop right there. No, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, we could push to this one, uh, push to the next one. And, um, I just want to want to say too to contextualize for folks like how interconnected our work is, right? Like um, at the People's Coalition, like we don't necessarily do the exact same work, right? But we do have a prison writing program, and we have a solidarity network within uh, Pelican Bay Prison, and our free grocery programs um, has gone through a lot of changes because what people don't know is that <laughs> Orange County, like 
Mao is saying has some of the most backwards and violent and genocidal policies and none of the food banks and none of the uh, nonprofits in Orange County um, provide food for folks uh, without documentation and without an address. Right. And so um, these, these things are interconnected and we've had um, unhoused homies who've been kidnapped uh, by the sheriff and we've had to uh, get in contact with uh, OC Rabbit Response Network to help us find them and help us um, uh, coordinate right their release and and luckily we've been able each time um, to come up with the bail uh, and free our homies from um, from incarceration but right like the work is so interconnected even though it's two completely different organizations doing two completely different work uh, sorry two completely separate uh, things in the community um, and so I just want to contextualize that for folks right because it's like Orange County especially like these systems are interconnected if you are unhoused if you are incarcerated if you are poor, if you are undocumented, right, they are built in a genocidal fashion, right? They are not built to keep you safe. They are not built um, to see you prosper or to see you grow or to see your community uh, develop in any way. Um, and so with our next question, uh, and I know, Mal, you touched on it, but, and, and I don't know, either of you can, t- can take this one. Um, tell us more about why it's so important for your organization to ground your work alongside formerly and currently incarcerated leaders and political prisoners. Um, bro, I mean, like I can take this question only because I'm sitting here, you know, um, I can speak to the, the reality, right. Of what it means to ground your work alongside formerly and currently incarcerated leaders. I mean, being formerly incarcerated, you don't think ever at any point, well, I mean, I didn't ever think at any point, you know what, all this shit I'm going through, all this stuff, all these years that of my life that I've just thrown down the toilet in this jail or prison, it's all gonna mean something special one day. It's all going to help someone else or a few hundred or a few thousand other people like you never think right that your experiences are going to actually um carry a message you know it's like um I did a lot of classes like an NA and AA right and they say you know um the last step is that you know you carry the message to other addicts and whatnot and it's like man you know, to be able to carry my story into spaces and know that like, hey, yeah, I mean, I've been seated at tables where they're like making, you know, decisions about laws or about bills that are going to potentially pass or about um, organizing reentry programs or whatnot. And it's just like, okay, I'm looking around the table. And a lot of times I'm like, there is nobody that is going to be directly impacted by these decisions seated at this table, except for me. And so I carry that, that kind of like, it's not a tor- it's like a torch, I guess you could call it. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what to equate it to, but I feel very honored and humbled by that moment. And I just go, you know what? 
And, and it's those times that really like light a fire under me, right? Because I'm like, you know what? I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for all my brothers and sisters that are, you know, behind bars right now that are struggling to eat on the street, that are struggling to, you know, live a happy life with their family because they're constantly on the run or looking um, over their shoulder because they don't know if um, ICE is going to come knocking at their door in an ICE sweep or, you know, things like that. Like, I feel like, like I get to speak up for those people that aren't seated at the table. And it's like, while everyone else is, I know their intentions are good, right? They they want to try to make some changes. It's like, okay, but let's talk about how that change is going to absolutely affect the people on the street, the people um, that are still you know, being detained. How is that going to affect them? Are you leaving people out? Are people going to be able to have access to this resource or to this law or to this, or are we just passing it for the sake of passing something so that, you know, um, it's not another failed bill or it's not another, you know, and not to say that that's been like my experience, but just to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. So I kind of believe that like, it's super important to, um, think about how the de- the decisions that you're trying or the, the things that you're trying to change for all those that are advocating out there, all those that are, you know, wanting to pick up a picket sign to understand what it is exactly that you're fighting for. And by under, I, unfortunately, I was at a meeting with someone and I, I voiced these opinions, right? And they looked at me and they said, you know, yeah, that's, that's important, but sometimes we can't slow down um, when it comes to legislature and when it comes to bill passing, you know, we can't slow down enough because there's deadlines. We have to get this done and this done and from one place to the other, to the other, we can't slow down to kind of incorporate, you know, um, people that are directly impacted. And I didn't say anything at that moment, but cause I was floored. I was like, okay, but at some point, right. You have to sit down with the people that are being impacted at some point you have to ask, hopefully in a perfect world, you would ask them from the gate, right? You wouldn't go up and draft a bill or draft anything until you have first discussed it with the people that it's going to directly impact. And unless you have access to talking to people that have been directly impacted or are going to be directly impacted, then you have no space there, you know? And and, and it's, it's, it brings me to this point of like fire. Right. And I know like y'all can't see me, but I know if you could see my eyes right now, there'd be like little fireballs in it. But because when I talk about this subject, it, it it's really, I'm passionate about it. I'm sure you could hear it in my voice. I feel like it's super important, you know, to, to join hands with the people that you're trying to help. You know, it's, you can't just like people say, you can't just throw money at a problem. Well, you can't just throw legislature at a problem either. You got to really sit down and talk to these people and find out what's going on, right? Ask them, which is why, um, you know, participatory defense is such an awesome thing because that's what we do. Like Mao shared earlier, you know, we ask these, the, these community members, what is it that you want? You being the person that's in this, nobody can say it better than you, right? Nobody knows your story better than yourself. Nobody knows what you're willing or not willing to accept, to go through, to endure. Nobody knows that better than you. So when I get asked that question, like, you know, how important is it for um, people to share in this, in this, 
in this space with people that are formerly incarcerated or um, have been detained, whether it's by the immigration machine or the criminal justice system. It's like, why is it important? It's important because they're the ones that matter. These are our brothers, our sisters, our moms, our dads, our aunts, our uncles. These are family members. These are not, we are not just numbers, although that's what the system wants us to be, right? We, you get a, a, an X number or whatever number you get, a CDCR number. And it's like, people tend to forget that we're human beings, you know, we've made mistakes. And I feel like I got asked one time, how would you feel if you were judged by the worst thing you've ever done? Right? How would you feel if everybody in the world judged you based on the worst thing you've ever done? Not the worst thing you've ever done that's on paper, that worst thing you've ever done that you don't ever want to tell anybody else about. If you had to walk around your entire life and everybody knew that about you, knew your deepest, darkest secret, and you were judged by it when you went to go apply for a job, you were judged by it when you went to go um, try to be part of an organization, you were judged by it when you, you know, tried to, to go to school, you were judged by it's not a great feeling, right? And that's what we do with people that are coming home from after serving their time and debt to society. We want to criminalize them again and put them on probation and parole. And now, you know, that whole, um, oh, you don't have to check the box anymore. It's still, it, it doesn't matter, right? Because they run your record. They see that you have a criminal conviction and it's a wrap. When you say you're willing to talk about it in an interview, it's a wrap. You don't want to know how many times I got shot down because of my criminal record. Not to mention my immigration status, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things, right, where I feel like if you're not working with with folks that have been directly impacted, um, maybe it's time to check your intentions at that point. If you're not willing to have a conversation with the people who this is going to affect, maybe you should check your intentions. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to go on forever because I could, but um, I think that's why it's so important for everybody to kind of ground their work alongside alongside these leaders. Because another thing too is you don't understand the power behind some of these people. You know, some of the folks that I was in prison with are some of the most amazing people I have ever met. Some of the most amazing, the most intelligent, bright, um, gifted people I've ever met are still in prison, and it's like, man. Don't, don't, don't go to sleep on that, man. Don't go to sleep on these people because I'm telling you, armed with the right tools, armed with the right opportunities, you know, given the right spaces, these people are going to change our world for the better. Just got to give them a shot. That's right. It's free our people, free our land, as always. And, and I just want to, you know, really, really uplift you, Laura, because I think you're speaking to, to a very important point of, I think, uh, uh, and even Lemine as that, right? As, as folks in the inside are our leaders, right? I think oftentimes these, or not oftentimes, but <laughs> on a daily basis, these systems, right? Um, and institutions are, are consistently uh, not criminalizing our folks and pushing them into, into, into cages. But I think actively, right, we take away the agency and the humanity of people. And so um, I think for us, right, as an organization has always been rooted in like, we believe in the people. We don't believe in these institutions. And so we believe that, you know, folks in the inside um, have the, the solutions to, to, to see, you know, uh, um, to create a different world in real time. Right. And, and to have the um, and I think it's for us has been important to also be in solidarity with folks when, you know, there's um, strikes in the inside. Right. We've seen uh, multiple strikes happen in our local jails. We've seen multiple strikes happen um, 
like you know both hunger strikes um and, and, and that are led by you know uh folks in the inside even at the adelanto detention facility and i think for us has always been connecting like not you know not only in the immigrant rights movement but also acknowledge that yo it's not just folks in the in immigrant detention centers that are that are being put in these inhumane and dehumanizing um yeah uh, conditions in jails but it's also uh folks you know who are in in youth detention facilities are that are in other you know uh, mental health facilities and so i think For us, it's been really important to really ground our work in just that, and uh, we're not interested, right, in 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 in, in budding up with with uh, folks in the nonprofit industrial complex, or but we're interested in in really building those relationships and power uh, with folks uh, who are incarcerated, right, and even their loved ones, right, who are impacted by these systems. Who um, it becomes a cycle, as Laura was saying, right, like. Um, and it also starts even with our fucking like our schools, right? Our schools um, have been, you know, created to to. To, to criminalize black and brown youth, right? To criminalize, you know, youth for being poor. And, and we see how this is, there's this pipeline, right? That pushes out black and brown youth, uh, you know, through through even test course, right? We're at like fourth grade, um, depending on your literacy tests or your 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 math proficiency, you're, you're, you're set to have, uh, to be in jail by the age of your 18th. And really challenging that notion too, right? That institutionally black and brown uh, folks have been, kind of set to be uh, in prison. And I'll talk a little bit more about that too, right? Because we also have to add in the historical context of even like how citizenship and even race were, were created here in the United States, right? When white people decided to create uh, race and racial oppression as a means of um, racial control, right? Um, um, here in the United States uh, and how a lot of it really kind of stems from the enslavement of, of African folks, right? Um, and even the, the the mass genocide of indigenous peoples. And so I think it's really important um, uh, that in that same way, right, that, that, that we're in solidarity with folks who are incarcerated, that we're also um, uplifting a lot of the, the historical context of where these systems come from, right? Um, and we've seen it, right? We've seen political leaders, you know, like Asada Shakur, um, who, who, who fled to Cuba, right, because of, of how deeply embedded um, these systems have been into the humanized people and even dehumanize us even when we're trying to fight back right oppression right trying to fight fight back to against these systems um and even through armed struggle i think we we, we recognize that um for it's folks like you know as Lola was saying it's folks in the inside who who um are the most brilliant people right that are oftentimes that most of the times are outcasted um and dehumanized um by our their own institutions that were meant to protect them Thank y'all so much. Yeah, like we talk about a lot in our organization, right, with the, the history of the Black radical tradition and the history of indigenous resistance, right? We know that change and does not come from a single person or a single celebrity or a single idol, right? It comes from the masses of people, comes from millions of people, and the masses of people are poor. The masses of people are incarcerated. The masses of people are undocumented, right? And so how could you call yourself uh, an organization that does work for incarcerated folks, but you don't? organize with or alongside or let them lead that movement, right? And that goes for every, uh, anybody that you organize with, any community that you organize with. And I, I appreciate y'all, appreciate y'all for really contextualizing that um, for everybody. Um, and I think this goes into the next question, right? And a lot of times people and organizations, they they hyper-focus on particular issues. And, and we kind of call these folks like parachuters or reactionaries, right? And they don't ever situate their work within a bigger struggle um, against global imperialism, against the genocide of settler colonialism, against 
um, the sexism of heteropatriarchy against the violence of white supremacy, right? And so how does your organization work to kind of connect, right, all of these issues, but specifically immigration issues um, to larger systems of power like uh, carcerality, incarceration, criminalization, um, and specifically the U.S. prison regime? Really, really appreciate that question, right? And I think it's, you know, I think as somebody who works in education, it's like we need to really get to the, to where these where this where this these systems even came from, right? Like where where was mass incarceration really created, right? And it was right uh, at the uh, the enslavement, right, of African uh, for Africans, right, the forced enslavement um, and displacement of our people, um, the mass genocide of indigenous folks, and so I think it's specific, right, to even talk about uh, of how even racial codes were passed, right, first in Virginia and then brought to colonies. And that's how, you know, we we created this class and uh, class system based on race, how, you know, historically law enforcement in the, US, in the U.S. has always been about racial control with the, you know, the first ever sheriff's department was uh, uh, to, you know, patty rollers, right, to, 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 to gather runaway slaves, right, um, and bring them, bring them back into plantations. And so I think historically, right, when we think about even just mass incarceration here in the United States and white supremacy. I, th I think also thinking about the mass genocide and enslavement of, of black and indigenous peoples. And so I think it's important to, to kind of start there, right? Because um, oftentimes people, they, people, you know, and, and, and throughout our communities, right? I think we oftentimes put, put, put things in uh, with that nuance, right? That um, we have to be really intentional talking about the histories of, of really where these systems come from, right? And also how they have been so deeply embedded in, in our daily lives that, that you know, um, it's so easy to forget uh, also the resistance that came about, right? Um, um, yeah, the resistance that came about, right? And, and, and a lot of the creation of, of like these laws that still exist. And so I think uh, for us, and at least for me, right, um, doing this work, um, it's really also challenging the notion of like, why is it that people are, are migrating to the United States, right? And it's because of this forced, uh, uh, um, um, this, this like machine of the U.S., right, that forces people both in Latin, Amer Latin America and the Caribbean um, and all throughout, you know, um, literally globally. Um, and we see these notions, right? We see how like socialist uh, uh, countries have also, you know, been impacted by a lot of these violences, right? We saw, you know, the war on drugs and, 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 the, and the funneling of, and the funneling of like violence against black folks, right? And incarceration of black folks. And so I think uh, for us, those are the histories are very important um, because, right, like we can't talk about immigration. We can't say, you know, abolish ICE if we're not also saying fuck the police and abolish the police, right? Um, and, 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 you know, really reclaiming those, those, those resources and, and powers to our people um, because historically, right, we have been disenfranchised. By, by these systems of white supremacy and, and settler colonialism. And, you know, as France Fanon, I'm going to quote Fanon because Fanon literally <laughs> talks about this, right? How also is a way of psychological warfare. A lot of the things that folks experience is because of that psychological warfare that has been created and funneled by the U.S. since, like, you know, its inception and, you know, at a global level, how uh, folks who, who were brought here, right, were also in a way um, psychological like psychologically traumatized, right? To 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 fit this European and white um, values, right? Of of what it means to be here in the United States, and why you know so many people um, think of it as like on a on a like so normal to them, right? And so how these systems, right, were 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 really created to to dehumanize folks, um, 
and just target people for their mere existence, right? And so we talk about, you know, a lot of the work that we've seen with, uh, at least in immigration, right? Like, um, um, and then and how folks are impacted is, um, you know, you can be driving your, be driving, right, to work, being pulled over. Maybe you, you had a ticket or maybe you, you were drunk and you were intoxicated, but we never really questioned, right? Like, what were the resources that, that, that this person was uh, provided, right, to, to support them? And, and, you know, it's the systems also of capitalism. We live in a capitalistic society that uh, folks must work, you know, to attain their basic resources, which is bullshit, right? Because we've seen that we have so much money, uh, um, that literally billionaires are sitting on that can be used for resources of folks. And so I think for us, it's connecting, right? And even working in in, um, in and around immigration um, and folks that we work alongside with is like, also like, how do we also incorporate can making those connections, right? Like we can't just, like I said, we can't just talk about immigration without really talking about the way that folks are criminalized on a daily basis for just being, you know, for, for their, you know, for being black, for being, uh, for being poor, not having access to housing, right? You know, how here in Orange County, one of the main reasons that um, we have the highest amount of transfers per, you know, um, across the state is because we criminalized our houseless neighbors. We criminalized the lack of, 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 of uh, access to healthcare that folks have, right? And so um, I think for us, it's really being rooted that, um, being rooted in those histories, right, that of where these systems came from and also, right, like the solutions that are, that have been afforded to us, right, by, by so many Black leaders um, from really like the inception of the United States, right? And so I think for us, um, I think it's also more to learn, right? I, I really like, what does that look like in real time, right? Like, what does it look like for us to learn from uh, uh, Pan-Africanist uh, folks, right? Who who have shaped, right, that, that, you know, in order for us to to unite and to achieve uh, liberation at a global level, it means centering African people, right, in, in, in that forefront. And also a very real armed struggle that I think a lot of folks don't really like to talk about, right? Something that we, you know, we learned from the Black Liberation Army, right? That it was a necessity, uh, to have an armed struggle, right? To have a militant struggle and also to bring that political education to people. And so I think personally, you know, as an undocumented person, it's like, um, it's not only just talking about the issues here, but like, how do we also stand in solidarity with people at a global level? And, you know, we, we can learn so much, right? You know, and this is something that we say, you know, uh, uh, from Mexico to Palestine, all our people need to be free. Um, and so I think it's important that that when we connect these issues, right? When we think about the military power that that that, that is in the U.S., right? That is the reason why Palestinians are have been fighting for for to reclaim their land is because of the U.S., right? The reason that so many folks have caused the global level, right? Uh, and we saw it, right? Even with with Haiti, right? Um, you know, was one of the countries that has actually was able to, you know, gather their own liberation. But the U.S. spends so much money through, through you know, fucking investing in CIA. And even now, right, we see this in real time, right, how much money is invested on social media uh, and like CIA bots, right, that are like driving culture and, and how much like the, the bourgeoisie, right, are, are influencing our policies on a, on a real time. And, and so I think for us, it's always been important to, to acknowledge that, like, politicians are not going to save us, right? You could put somebody at the table, but what we need is get rid of the fucking table. We don't need the table. <laughs> we need, you know, to think about, like, what that looks like in real time and, um, and, and connect that, you know, Black liberation struggle at a global level. And that starts with also engaging folks in the immigrant rights movement that, yo, no, we're not just going to create these narratives of, you know, we're here to stay. Like, nah, like, how, what, how do we also think about uh, uh, Black liberation and Indigenous sovereignty? And how do we connect that here locally as, you know, living in literally the, the, the epicenter of imperialist violence um, that the U.S. has created since its inception? 
And I just want to add, like, I feel like our organization, you know, based on the fact like, okay, so we, we, we help with removal defense, right? If someone's having immigration issues, but it doesn't, it, it's not one of those things where it's like, okay, this is all we do. We're like a one trick pony type deal. Like that's not the get down here. You know, it's, it's more about empowering folks, right? Empowering folks in all different areas and aspects of just general life. Right. I remember I wrote a paper when I was in prison for college and, um, I, I, I'll never forget that because I, I wrote, um, it was a pretty damn good paper. I got a B plus too. I was like, man, this lady needs to give me an A. But anyways, um, you know, she had like responded to me and she's like, oh, you should, you know, it was based on my story. And she's like, you, you should submit a pardon to the governor. And one of the things I wrote in that paper, I said, you know, what's funny to me is that as a legal permanent resident, right? All my life, I was really good in school. I did good. I got great, good grades. I got um, trophies. I was in um, every sport you could think of. I was in choir. I was in band. And all throughout my life, right, I didn't even know that I was not an American citizen until I was like 12 or 13 years old when like we went to go visit my grandma um, and my dad had forgot my 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 card and I had to stay over there and wait for my dad to drive two and a half hours to get it and two and a half hours back. But all the while I was winning awards and doing good, nobody ever asked me where I was born. Nobody cared. Nobody cared where I came from. But the minute I made a mistake, right? I I, I was misguided. I had low self-esteem at the time. I had a shit ton of family issues. And I found myself in a really vulnerable spot. And I'm now sitting here looking at a 20, uh, a 27 to life sentence then all of a sudden it matters where I was born, right? So it's that kind of system that, you know, you have to look at everything because everything works together. It's not ever just about the criminal justice system. It's not ever just about immigration system. It's not ever just about, you know, um, one thing or the other. Everything is intertwined. Everything, and if you're mentality, when you're, when you're in the midst of advocacy work, if your mentality is, is, is like, um, tunnel vision, right? People say like, oh, you know, you got to keep your eye on the prize. You can't sway to the left or to the right. Well, guess what? I was on the left of the tunnel. And if nobody would have looked to the left, I would have got left behind and lost there. So I understand what it, what it means to focus on something, right? But in the midst of your focus, you have to take a look around at what's going on around you. Otherwise, you're just going to barrel down a street and take people out in the process. You're going to run people over innocent people that don't deserve to be hurt in the process of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Right. So there's needs to be a collective mindset that says, I'm not, I, I'm, I might be focused on this particular goal, or this is what we want to have happen. But at the same time, I've got to take a look around at how that's going to impact A, B, C, and D. You can't just barrel down and barrel through. And I feel like our organization um, exemplifies that, right? Because we take on any number of cases. We uh, participate in any number of uh, rallies, organizing. We we work hand-in-hand with anyone that reaches out or anyone that we see that needs some support. You know, we're there, whether whether it's the Vietnamese community, the Black community, you know, um, the Haitian community, whatever community it is that comes across our path, we try to align with them, right? And we try to be there and support because that's what we need to do.
Yeah, I think that's so beautiful, right? Like, there's no shame in, in focusing or centering your work on one particular group of people or oppressed people, right? But um, if you don't, like Lara said, right, if you don't take the time to intentionally look around and connect your struggles with other people to, to uplift and show solidarity to other groups of people, right, and connect your movements and build right, actual coalitions that can um, right, actually engage a larger number of people, right, then you're doing a disservice. Like you said, it can be reckless, like you said. Um, that's that's so beautiful. And um, I think, too, just I just wanted to mention, right, that, Mao, I think you're it's important, right? We can't understand uh, immigration issues. We can't understand the issues in our community without understanding the way in which the U.S. government, uh, the CIA, COINTELPRO, right, have directly destabilized and sanctioned and broken down and caused a lot of the violence happening right, in indigenous communities, in countries across uh, South and Central America. And so I think that's so important right, to actually understand the ways in which um, these things are intentionally uh, created and destabilized by um, a government, right, that's looking uh, out for its own interests, right, and it's looking out for its own interests and willing to um, destroy anything in its way, right? And that's why we talk about um, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our people, taking care of our communities, right, worrying about ourselves, right, because they're not going to do that. And they've shown that a number of times. Um, so I'll have, I'll say I have two more questions. I got two more questions. Um, and we can cut it to one if we need to. But um, if we can, just what is participatory defense? If I've never heard of participatory defense, how would I describe that? Um, what is it? What does it look like? Uh, how is it mobilized? Participatory, I mean, I can start here. Participatory defense is a model that basically puts the affected person, right, whoever's being affected by um, either the criminal justice system or the immigration machine um, in the driver's seat of their outcome, right? And so what we do is um, we have a weekly participatory defense meeting in which we have community members join us via Zoom. And they come into the space, they share uh, whatever it is that's going on with their case. And um, we are there as an organization to help support them in their advocacy efforts. It's a space where we can empower the community members. Um, like I shared in the beginning, when I first went to the participatory defense meetings, that's exactly what I got, right, was a sense of empowerment. Um, they never once told me what to do in my case. They never said, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. They just simply said, how can we, you know, um, support you? What is it that you want to do in your case? You know, here I am now released. I am not on an ankle monitor. I have not to this point been in touch. ICE has not been in touch with me, um, but there's a real fear, right? Because ICE has an agenda that is freaking bonkers and that nobody can make sense of, right? They pick up who they want to and leave alone who they want to. And it's like a freaking crapshoot, it feels like. So there's always this fear that at any given moment, you know, um, they can come and get you. I know a friend of mine also was a lifer, just got out. You know, she's found a partner and they want to, you know, start a life together. But, you know, she's scared to buy a house because what if 
ice shows up and they deport her. And, you know, now she's going to have this, this home, like it's, it's one of those things, right? So participatory defense is just that it participates in the defense of the person that is coming to the space. They aid, um, we aid our, our community members in, in guiding their, their case, whether it be with, um, support letters or any type of research, legal aid or resources that we may have. Of course, we offer that up. Um, we show up like the participatory defense showed up for me, um, in rally form, right. They went outside the orange County jail and picketed and, uh, told, uh, Don Barnes to, um, let me out, um, and to stop colluding with ice. Those are the types of things and movements. And, and I've spoken to some immigration attorneys as well. And, and, uh, they're quick to tell you, you know, oh, we don't, we don't do that. Uh, we can do your legal paperwork, but we can't mobilize, you know, um, community organizing. We can't um, pull the community together for you to get letters of support, to um, get character letters, right? That's what the organization does. That's what participatory defense does. It helps you mobilize yourself. It helps you um, support your um, ideas and uh, what it is that you want to have happen because an immigration attorney has told me in the past, oh, well, you just need to marry an American citizen. And uh, what? Like, are you for real right now? Um, so so that's the kind of stuff that we're up against, you know, and participatory defense is a model that, you know, puts them in the driver's seat, puts the community member in the driver's seat and supports them in all of their efforts, you know, and, and I'm sure Mal can, can back me up here. No, and I think what, what you're mentioning is really important, Laura. I think uh, participatory defense is, is really, um, I think, and, and I think we adopted it as like, or not I think, but we adopted it as an organizing model because we believe, right, that not only was it a way for us to support folks navigating the criminal and immigration systems, but it also was a way to build collective consciousness um, with, with those directly impacted and their loved ones, right? And even just the larger community um, to kind of, you know, um, acknowledge that uh, uh, these systems, right, of mass incarceration and, 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 and the deportation machines are are very isolating, right, and can 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 uh, feel very, um, can feel, yeah, like can, can feel very isolating for people who are navigating this, right? Um, and so having community support really does make a difference, right? Having folks um, in the community who have uh, similar shared experiences, right, navigating the systems or have been impacted uh, by these systems in similar ways are also the ones that can help provide other support to other folks. And so uh, before the pandemic, right, we were meeting in person. And so you would have, you know, and it's always been, right, uh, senoras, older, older women, um, you know, leading the cases of their loved ones, of their husbands, of their sons, um, or sometimes it's even like, you know, uh, comrades or friends, uh, partners. And, and, and so I think we really uh, took into, into consideration that it was folks, right, who were navigating these situations who had that, um, the experience and the answers, right, to support one another. And so I think when, when we talk about collective consciousness building, we see it like in real time and we see like these alternatives happen in real time where people will be, you know, will be sharing about their case or what they're navigating. And then they get a chance to be like, uh, you know, other folks in the space will chime in like, hey, actually, when I went to my ice check and this is what I've learned or when, you know, I, I've uh, or I've gone to this lawyer, don't go to this lawyer or like, um, we'll literally help people think through, like, what are some questions we can ask lawyers, right? The lawyers, how can we humanize folks, right? And also being really intentional, right? Of Why is it that we have to bail people out, right? Like, uh, and so much funding, right? Even here locally in Orange County, with like, uh, there's so much money that goes to bailing people out. But I don't think we really talk about, like, how much of that itself, right? It's it's in terms of also funneling and fueling, right? Like, uh, the 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 mass deportation system and the, and the local jails. And so I think for us, 
um, one of the biggest principles that we really took, right, that, that Laura was really sharing about is like, we're not a substitute, right, for legal advice, but we also recognize that people who are, who have been navigating these these uh, these systems are the ones who also have the answers um, and have like literally the 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 lived experiences to support even challenge those systems, right? Which is why so quickly we were able to to learn about the conditions in detention centers because we we're working actively uh, supporting um, uh, uh, loved ones, right, in the Adelanto detention center or even. Um, uh, directly impacted folks that were in the inside that we realized about the conditions um, and the lack of care that folks were being um, offered uh, during the pandemic. And so I think for us, right, um, if we were to explain to people, right, what what is participatory defense? It is a community organizing model that centers uh, on empowering people who have been uh, uh, neglected and dehumanized by um, our, our own um, uh, systems and really allowing them to transform the landscape of power, right? And to regain that power that they can change uh, their conditions, right? Um, if we work collectively, right? Uh, to fight back against the immigration, the youth, the civil and criminal justice systems. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Uh, and I want to mention, uh, since we've been talking about it so much, right? Like some of the first participatory defense campaigns um, were kind of started and created and developed out of the Black Liberation Movement, but specifically out of the Free Joan Little case, um, which was a case to free uh, a Black woman, right, who was imprisoned and punished um, for defending herself right, against uh, her attacker, her, uh, her abuser, right? And so, and we've seen a massive movement grow out of that, but I think it's important to know, right, that was one of the first participatory, participatory defense campaigns um, and it was for a black woman uh, and it was the free Joan Little campaign. So if folks have time to look that up, that's a really important one. Um, okay, last question. Uh, Y'all got time for one more? Let's do it. Let's do it, okay. So if, right, if I'm somebody who, who listens to this episode um, and I see uh, in my community, right, folks who are impacted by incarceration, folks who are impacted by ICE, folks who are impacted by uh, police violence, um, what are the first steps I should take um, in forming some type of organization uh, around participatory defense and around community control? Um, where, where would I start um, and how would I start that process? That's a really good question. I think it starts by, um, um, I think, um, one of the main things that really starts by, right, and, and we have uh, access to so many resources that, you know, we can even share with folks. If, if you visit the Orange County Rapid Response Network on YouTube, we have a full training with, like, what is participatory defense and, and what does that look like in practice, right? But one of the, the biggest things that, that, you know, that we tend to, to also acknowledge, right, is, like, no matter, you know, folks who may be experiencing, um, uh, um, uh, who may be impacted by the criminal immigration system, right, can can have their case be at different levels from like the person's just being detained to like the person's actually has been, uh, uh, you know, given a charge and is now incarcerated. So like, I think it depends, right? Like uh, really understanding like, where's this person um, and how they're being impacted, right? And, and, and at what level? But I think one of the most important things, right? is like, um, and as we were mentioning earlier is that these systems really dehumanize and take away the agency of folks. And so, so one of those things that, you know, that I've learned early on, even before doing, um, 
uh, deportation defense uh, through the participatory defense model, you know, working with young black uh, uh, boys in, in LA County was like, um, you know, talking through with them, like, hey, um, who are people in your neighborhood that can speak on uh, on, on who you are as an individual? Um, and and kind of asking those questions, like, hey, can we maybe get uh, your coach or can we maybe get somebody in your community to write a letter about, you know, who you are as an individual, how they've seen you grow up, you know, um, and your circumstances. And I think oftentimes, right, it's like really humanizing and, and painting this picture right, that folks are not, um, uh, um, are not, right, you know, um, whatever, uh, um, what, oh my God, they're not like the, the, um, they're not the actions, right, that they took, right, but rather like these are human beings, right, that who have not had uh, access to resources, right, to, to, to support each other. And so I think, right, it really does start uh, by humanizing folks, right? I think even documenting, and we see this across, right, like the access of our phones, right, documenting when a, when a cop is pulling someone over, right, whether it's a, a Black individual, a brown individual, I think something that I tend to use is, you know, asking folks like, hey, are you okay? Like, is there somebody that I can call, right? Because we know and we recognize like how often it is it is to, to for folks to feel isolated, right? And so I think in ways of responding, right, it's also like how do we learn about these tools, right, that we have in our in in, in our in our access, right? And like right now we, we're living the age of digital media, right, where we can you know access a lot of these resources and also learn right from like uh, some of the historical successes, right? Um, also um, to really kind of build that power, but. I know folks, if folks are interested in starting a participatory defense hub, you can definitely learn. Um, and there's videos on YouTube from mothers in charge in Philadelphia and really learn about their model. Um, you can learn uh, from uh, SVD Bug based in San Jose. Uh, you can learn from the Orange County Rapid Response Network, right? And also actively just engage people in your community, right? I think one of the biggest things of, of doing this organizing work is like, if you don't know the neighbors that live around you, right? Like, how are you also expected to... to, to uh, um, to support when situations like that happen, right, in your community. And so I think one of the biggest pieces of information that folks should know is, like, um, really get connected, right, with people that you live around with and and to, and to really, like, humanize them in, in different ways, right, and be able to also respond when things happen. And, you know, I think responding can look very different. Oftentimes, right, it doesn't have to be a physical where you, you know, put your body on the line. But most oftentimes, right, if you need to put your body on the line uh, to support folks, oftentimes, right, what does that look like collectively in your in your in your neighborhood, right? What is the process in your neighborhood um, um, to to be able to respond like that? But I think oftentimes when folks are navigating the the, the court systems, it's like how do we really humanize folks um, as being more than the crime that they com- that they committed, right? As as the court likes to say. But yeah, Laura, I don't know if you want to add more to, to like how other folks can can get um, can do this in real time. So I was thinking about that, right? The whole time you're talking, I'm listening to you and I'm bobbing my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm thinking, you know, just bringing it back down to like when I was a community member and I didn't know like anything. Right. I was just walking down the street and getting affected by, you know, um, policing in my area. Um, I think one of the very first things you can do if you, if you're either a victim of it or you see this happening in your community, um, is just to tell somebody that's a really small step, right? But I think it's impactful. If you just share your experience or you share what you saw with somebody, it doesn't even have to be like, somebody in a position of, of, of advocacy work or, 
or of so-called power or anything, just start to a dialect, right? Start a dialect with your, um, like Mal said, with your community members, just be like, Hey, did you hear what happened? Like to so-and-so on the corner. And next thing, you know, I feel like once we communicate, you're going to find people that have the same mindset that you have. And that's where power starts to grow, right? Because when you meet someone else that's thinks the same way that you do that goes, you know what, that, that I don't think that was very uh, fair. And, and, and I feel some way about it. Then one thought turns into two people thinking turns into three turns into four. Next thing you know, you've got a group of people that are all collectively thinking the same and together. I mean, numbers are power, man. I, I, I think um, the DJ was sharing earlier, right? Uh, hey, numbers are what matters, right? And it's like, really, it's that single step of just sharing what you saw with someone. And that's like the smallest step I feel like you can share. Because a lot of times, you know, especially like in, in certain communities, right, we, we were kind of taught like that you don't say anything. You, you, you see and you stay quiet. You know, you keep your opinions to yourself and that just is what it is. But honestly, that isn't where it's at. You know, we've got to start communicating with each other. And I feel like that's the, the first and easy step, right? shouldn't take, doesn't take much Just share what you saw. And then from there, you'll never know. You'll, you'll make connections just like Mal found the Orange County Rapid Response Network. You know, he hit the ground and he was on the ground doing some work. And next thing you know, you know, he ran into these people and, and that's kind of how it happens. Um, of course, nowadays, you know, we have social media, so everything's on the internet. You know, if you're more into actively looking for something to be part of after you've seen or been a witness or victim to something like this, um, there's, I mean, and you can Google anything and find organizations that are near you that you can talk to and see just where you can plug yourself in. I guarantee you. I mean, like I said, the Orange County Rapid Response Network is legitimately all volunteers. So I guarantee you, if you called and said, hey, you know, um, I'm directly impacted or not. I just want to be part of this movement. I want to I want to help. You're not going to get turned down. I mean, I know we're not going to say, oh, no, thanks. We don't need your help. I mean, come on. We need all the help we can get, right? Because we're fighting for something bigger than just one person. This is um, an entire a race of people. And by race, I mean, you know, all of us, we are all one. Um, and so I feel like that's where it, that's where it matters. And that's, that's just like a small step, step that you can take to, to mobilize yourselves. Thank you so much. And I know you're saying that's a small step, but I think, I think you put that so beautifully. And I think it's so important too, right? Cause like you said, they, they want to keep us disconnected. Right. They don't want us to talk to each other about our experiences. They don't want us to talk to us about uh, how we're treated by our boss or how much we get paid or uh, right, uh, how we're actually impacted by the violence and how our experiences are actually so deeply connected. Right. And the less we talk, the less we understand how our experiences are connected in so many ways. Um, so I think, like you said, you said it was small, but I think that like is a vital, vital step in actually building solidarity and building some type of consciousness around what's going on to not just you, but the people next to you, your neighbors, right? These people are, are our neighbors, our relatives, our siblings. Um, okay, that was incredible, y'all. Um, I'll leave the last uh, closing remarks for y'all to kind of plug where folks can find you, how they can support you, how they can donate. 
Appreciate y'all so much. And and I think as well, I want to uplift what Laura was saying is join an organization, y'all. Like, really, really get connected with organizations that are on the ground. But not just don't join it. Just any organization. Join organizations that are continuously, right, challenging the notion uh, and challenging the nonprofit industrial complex, right, who have imperialist values, who have pro-Black frameworks. Like, those are the organizations that you want to be plugged in with, right? Um, there's always people on the ground, right, right? Uh, that are doing so much, you know, empower, uh, important and powerful work. So really find what's, you know, th- organizations that align with your values. And so um, if you feel like you align with the Orange County Rappers Monster Network, come through, please. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at OCRRN or on Twitter, OC underscore RRN. Also, uh, please donate to our mutual aid fund, right? We use a lot of those funds to uh Go directly to support uh, directly impacted leaders in our community, whether it's uh, with commissary, right, uh, sending uh, folks money in the inside, you know, helping folks with gas expenses or even post-release support, getting them access to housing, to mental health resources. A lot of the funds, right, that, that we have collectively, right, go directly towards people, um, whether it's, you know, offering people rides or, you know, offering people um, you know, transportation uh, cards, right, to get on the bus. Um, we, we try and, and do that, right? And I think also, right, um, just, you know, supporting for people in general, right? Um, so you can tap in with our Venmo at OCRRN. Um, again, that's our Venmo at OCRRN. Um, and yeah, if you want to get plugged in, we're always looking for volunteers. And I think there's so many ways, right? Besides just being an organization that works with uh, system impacted leaders, I think we've also been trying to strive for, like, what are the other needs of our community members, right? Do our folks need uh, access to food? Do they need access to housing? And what does it look like for us to react, you know, to actively build those, uh, connections with other organizations that are doing that uh, as well as well so if your organization is doing work um in and around orange county right uh, to support people and y'all have resources uh, or connections whether it's access to clothing to to food uh to um to mental health resources to you know anything you could think of like please please reach out to us but laura how can people continue to get connected with us so uh, okay, so you got the Twitter and Instagram. I'm gonna uh, shoot out um, our our uh, ocrapidresponse.org. That's our website. You can uh, look us up there. Also, um, I'm gonna give uh, my phone number right. So this is nine four nine six zero one six nine eight eight. One more time, nine four nine six zero one. 6988. You can just shoot me a text. Let me know that you heard um, the podcast and um, let me know where where you want to plug in. I mean, if you're down, we're down to have you. You know, we always need people on the ground to support. Like Mal was saying, um, please feel free to reach out. I also have an email address, but it's kind of long. I'll go ahead and drop it just in case. Um, It's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and then H-R-N-N, dz2020 at gmail.com feel free to send me an email if you prefer um yeah i mean we're we're happy to support um anybody that wants to um show up and uh, we do all kinds of community events and we we show up at all different kinds of rallies i'll be in the la area on friday um at a rally to help support a community member so please feel free like it's not just Orange County. If you want to do stuff in LA County, we'll make sure we have something for you. So yeah, for sure. We, we, we take all in any donations as well. Like Mal was saying, um, at OCRRN is our Venmo. Thanks so much for having us.
appreciate y'all for having us. And I will plug in our, our, our hotline that folks can call if you see any ICE or police activity in your community. Uh, please, please call us. And, and we have volunteers that we can uh, send out, you know, to, to support on the ground. Um, and the phone number is 714-881-1558. Again, it's 714-881-1558. Uh, and you, if, if you're interested, if you're somebody that, that wants to respond uh, on the ground, right, when incidents around, you know, where there's, there's reports of ICE activity or police activity uh, with, any, with any of our neighbors in Orange County, please reach out. Um, if you see, you know, uh, ICE or police activity in LA County, there's also numbers and hotlines there that you can tap in with. But again, uh, hit up our hotline at 714-881-1558. And if you are somebody who uh, has been impacted by the criminal and immigration systems that need support with your case, also call that number and, we, and we'd be happy to support you uh, through that process and, and, and look through, you know, what are your options and how we can, you know, support you uh, make those decisions and connect it to the resources that you need. Uh, to be okay. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, we keep us safe. Free the people, free the land. Free them all. Thank y'all so much. Uh, if you're listening, everything will be linked in the show notes. Like they said, free them all, free the land. America, 2020, babies born inside an ice camp, Guadalupe is trapped, cuffs on her hands, her first mother's day was spent inside a cage, centros of torture, detention centers, adelantos where they send us, that's where these John Smiths just hope to end us, and the Navajo Nation decimated, neglected by the Trump administration, that's the white virus terrorizing the planet, and fuck Joe Biden, and all of his cronies, free all of the homies, Chicanos and Morenos, Cambodians too Gun them down once they stand behind that podium booth Life for the two spirits been traumatic After making the contact with the English and Spanish Crippled or standing, you're a part of this action Able or disabled, handicapped, you're a part of this ejército fam The helicopter's still circling above our municipio But so are my relatives, a condor in the south In the north it's the eagle, we're still under attack By these blue-eyed people this for the forgotten from the hand of the state, murdered and raped, life disregarded, light a candle in your grace, oil industries, what they man camps, need to get banned, on the sea to soak up, make lands, and many territories, fighting for natural, living earth, mother since birth, it's a struggle, we tussle, refusal to quit, in the spirit of missing, murdered indigenous women, we walk. With the fire in our hearts, monster of men Selling women, children as commodities of sex trafficking All over the world, directly affecting black and brown communities Even our own family members praying on the vulnerable Fuck a dialogue, how about we hang them up Disposable, colonial, patriarchal, world is cold Trans relatives, brutalize no one bats an eye So I light a candle, flame burns strong, shine on
and murdered indigenous women For our trans relatives murdered For all POC affected by police state sanctioned murder For our relatives and children locked down in them ice concentration camps Indigenous black and brown power Flame burns strong Shine on, shine on, shine on, shine on.